I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, what's been going on with me since last week? Eh, uh, mm, nothing. I uh, am doing Fridays off for furlough, which is kind of nice in its own way. Uh, I spent Friday afternoon, I went to my friend's house, a friend I've known since high school. And we joked about how we'll get together early in the day because it'll be just like high school. I joked, oh, I'll ride my bike over to your house even though it takes forever, just like when we were in high school. And uh, I went over there and he's got this big pool. It's a natural pool. It just looks like a pond. It just is a pond. It's all it is, a man-made pond. It doesn't have any chemicals. It's got a fake waterfall to keep the water from getting mosquitoes breeding on it, and uh, yeah, it's fine. I normally hate going in it because it's ice cold, but this time it's so dang hot out. Hot and humid. So I said, fine. So, I get the shirt off and show my glorious body. And then my friend says, oh, yeah, that's the sunscreen. And I said, no. I'm not a baby. I'll just get in the water. I'll be fine. So I got in the water and it wasn't bad. And I swam around. We talked. And we caught up for a couple hours. And then I went home. And I was sunburned like crazy. And the next day, super sunburned. I could barely sleep that night because of the pain from the burn. And so now I'm slathered in aloe uh, lotion to try and keep the burning down. It's starting to scab up. It's disgusting. Beyond that, 4th of July. Uh, this last weekend here in the glorious uh, country of uh, America, that... Uh, not a lot going on because no cities are having any fireworks displays. So uh, one daughter is off at a friend's cabin and the other one decided to uh, skip going to the grandparents' lake and uh, just wound up hanging out with me instead. Because she likes me? No, because she just doesn't want to go anywhere and she wants to sit in her room on her phone and not talk to anyone. So when the 4th of July rolled around, I said, uh, well, there's no fireworks. I mean, we wouldn't go anyways because of the pandemic. But we could walk around the neighborhood and look for where the fireworks are at and see if we can get to like a nice little high point and then just stand and watch them. But since there's nothing going on, can we just at least get out of the house and walk around? Yes, I know it's burning hot and it's humid and it's miserable, but I'm going crazy sitting in the house all the time. So she said, fine. There's a lot of wrangling to get her out. But she finally got out and we took a walk for about a half hour. And uh, lo and behold, the American peoples uh, won't take... COVID sitting uh, down. They launched their own fireworks. Every street had giant fireworks going on, probably illegal ones. So we were walking around and the whole skies lit up with tons of fireworks. It was kind of a magical evening. Even at the end of my block, somebody was lighting fireworks so we could stand in the upstairs uh, bedroom and just look out the windows and just watch the whole display. So that was kind of memorable. I'm sure she didn't care. She just went back to her room and stopped talking to me. Uh, all the way up until she left just a few hours ago. So with that, uh, let's dive into the story 
of uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. As you know, uh, normally I read a thing about the author, but since this is a, a long playbook, we're going to be uh, skipping the review of the author, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, also known as Mark Twain, uh, and just read more uh, facts about his life. Did you know he was not ready to play second fiddle? Is that the headline of this from whatthefact.com? He was once lecturing in the Dublin Lake Club and saw a woman uh, knitting a sock. Uh, That made him so angry that he left his lecture in the middle and dashed off, saying that he didn't want to play second fiddle and uh, some sock. But he was again invited the following year, and he shared his thoughts for more than two hours, and at the end of which he got a standing ovation. Again, something about what the fact. It's like the most horribly... It's a small paragraph, and it's so badly written. It's just amazing to me. But let's get into the story. Chapter 6. Monday morning found Tom Sawyer uh, miserable. Monday morning always found him so because eh, it began another week. Slow suffering in school. He generally began that day uh, with wishing he had had, I hate it when they do that, two hads in a row, no intervening holiday. It made the going into captivity and fetters again so much more odious. Tom lay thinking. Presently, it occurred to him uh, that he wished he was sick. Then he could stay home from school. (laughs) There was a vague possibility. He canvassed his system. Uh, No ailment was found and he investigated again. Uh, This time, he thought he could detect uh, colicky symptoms, and he began to encourage them with uh, considerable hope. But they soon grew feeble and presently died wholly away. He reflected further. uh, Suddenly, he discovered something. One of his upper front teeth was loose. Ah, uh, this is lucky. He was about to begin to groan as a, quote, starter, as he uh, called it uh, when it occurred to him that if he came into court with this argument, his aunt would pull it out, and that would, uh, that would hurt. So he thought he would hold the tooth in reserve for the present and seek further. Nothing offered for some little time, and then he remembered hearing the doctor tell about a certain thing that laid up a patient for two or three weeks and threatened to make him lose a finger. So the boy eagerly drew his sore toe from under the sheet and held it up for inspection. Ah, but now he did not know the necessary symptoms. However, it seemed well worthwhile to chance it. So he fell into groaning with considerable spirit. But Sid slept on unconscious. Tom groaned louder and fancied that he began to feel pain in the toe. Ah, no result from Sid. Tom was panting with his exertions by this time. He took a rest and then swelled himself up and fetched a a succession of admirable groans. Ah, Sid snored on. Tom was aggravated. He said, Sid, Sid, and shook him. This course worked well, and Tom began to groan again, and 
yawned and stretched and then brought himself up at his elbow with a, with a snort and began to stare at Tom. Tom went on groaning, and Sid said, Tom, uh, say Tom, uh, no response. Here, Tom, uh, Tom, what's the matter, Tom? <laughs> Who talks like that, like a 90-year-old man? And he shook him and looked in his face anxiously. Tom moaned out, Oh, don't, Sid, don't joggle me. Uh, why? What's the matter, Tom? I must call Auntie. No! Oh, never mind. It'll be over by and by, maybe. Yeah, don't call anyone. Oh, but it must. Oh, don't groan so, Tom. It's awful. How long have you been this way? Hours. Ouch. Don't, don't stir so, Sid. You'll kill me. Tom, why didn't you wake me sooner? Oh, Tom, don't. It makes my flesh crawl to hear you. Tom, <laughs> what is the matter? You <laughs> can only say his name so many times. I forgive you everything, Sid, groan. Everything you've ever done to me when, when I'm gone. Oh, Tom, you ain't dying, are you? Don't, Tom. Oh, don't. Maybe I forgive everybody, Sid, groan. Tell him so, Sid. And, Sid, you give my window sash uh, and my cat with the one eye to that new girl that's coming to town. Oh, and, and tell her. But Sid had snatched his clothes and gone. Tom was suffering in reality now. So handsomely was his imagination working, and so his groans had gathered quite a genuine tone. Sid flew downstairs and said, Oh, I'm Polly, come, Tom is dying. Uh, dying? Yes, um, don't wait, come quick. Ah, rubbish, I don't believe it. But she fled upstairs, nevertheless, uh, with Sid and Mary at her heels, and her face grew white, too, and her lip trembled. When she reached the bedside, she gasped out, You! Tom! Tom, what's the matter with you? Oh, Auntie, I'm... What's the matter with you? What, what is the matter with you, child? Oh, Auntie, my sore toe's mortified. The old lady sank down into a chair and laughed a little, and then cried a little, then did a... a, a both together. This restored her, and she said, Tom... What a turn you did give me. Now, you shut up, that nonsense, and climb out of this. The groan ceased, and the pain vanished from his toe. The boy felt a little foolish and said, uh, I'm Polly. It seemed mortified, and it hurt, so I never minded my tooth at all. Your tooth, indeed. Ah, what's the matter with your tooth? Ah, one of them was loose, and it aches perfectly awful. There, there now. Don't begin that groaning again. Up in your mouth. Well, your tooth is loose, but you're not going to die about that. Mary, hey, get me a silk thread and a chunk of fire out of the kitchen. A chunk of fire. Tom said, Oh, please, Auntie, don't pull it out. It didn't hurt anymore. I, I wish I may never stir if it does. Please don't, Auntie. I don't want to stay home from school. Oh, you don't, don't you? So all this row is because you thought you'd get to stay home from school and go a-fishing? Ah, Tom, Tom, I love you so. And you seem to try every way you can to break my old heart with your outrageousness. By this time, yeah, the dental instruments were ready. The old lady made one end of the silk thread fast to Tom's tooth with a loop and tied the other to the bedpost. Then she seized the chunk of fire and suddenly thrust it almost into the boy's face. Why is that an aspect of it that you need? 
What about the hole tied to a doorknob and slammed the door? The tooth hung dangling by the bedpost now. All the trials bring their compensations. As Tom wended to school after breakfast, he was the envy of every boy he met because the gap in his upper row of teeth enabled him to expectorate in a new and admirable way. He gathered quite a following of lads interested in the exhibition, and one that had cut his finger and had been the center of fascination and homage up to this time, now found himself suddenly without an adherent and shorn of his glory. His heart was heavy, and he said with a disdain, which he did not feel that it was anything to spit like Tom Sawyer, but another boy said, eh, sour grapes, and he wandered away and dismantled Hero. Shortly, Tom came upon a juvenile pariah of the village. Ugh, Huckleberry Finn, son of the town drunkard. Huckleberry was cordially hated and dreaded by all the mothers of the town because he was idle, odd, lawless, and vulgar, and bad, and because all their children admired him so and delighted in his forbidden society and wished they dared to be like him. Tom was like the rest of the respectable boys, and that he envied Huckleberry, his gaudy outcast condition, and was under strict orders not to play with him. Sly played with him every time he got a chance. Huckleberry was always dressed in the cast-off clothes of full-grown men, and they were in perennial bloom with fluttering of the rags, and his hat was a vast ruin with a wide crescent lopped out of its brim. His coat, uh, when he wore one, hung nearly to his heels, and had the rearward buttons far down the back, but one suspender supported his trousers. The seat of the trousers bagged low and contained nothing. The fringed legs, dragged in the dirt, when not rolled up, Huckleberry came and went at his own free will. He slept on doorsteps in fine weather in an empty hogshead and wet. He did not have to go to school or to church or call any being master or obey anybody. He'd go fishing or swimming uh, when and where he chose. Uh, he stayed as long as it suited him. Nobody forbade him to fight. He could sit up as late as he pleased. He was always the first boy that went barefoot in the spring and the last to resume leather in the fall. He never had to wash, nor put on clean clothes. He could swear wonderfully. In a word, everything that goes to make life precious, that boy had. So thought every harassed, hampered, respectable boy in St. Petersburg. Tom hailed the romantic outcast. Hello, Huckleberry. Hello yourself. And see how you like it. Uh, what's that you got, dead cat? Uh, let me see him, Huck. Oh, uh, my, he's pretty stiff. Where'd you get him? Uh, bought him off a boy. Uh, what'd you give? I gave a blue ticket and a bladder that I got in the slaughterhouse. Jesus. <laughs> Where'd you get the blue ticket? Bought it off uh, Ben Rogers two weeks ago for a hoop stick. Say... What is dead cats good for, Huck? Good for? I cure warts with. No, is that so? I know something that's better. I bet you don't. Uh, what is it? Why, spunk water. Uh, spunk water? I wouldn't give a dern for spunk water. Uh, you wouldn't, would you? Do you ever try it? No, I ain't. But uh, Bob Tanner did. Uh, who told you so? Why, he told Jeff Thatcher. And Jeff told Johnny Baker. Johnny told Jim Hollis. And Jim told Ben Rogers, and Ben told a... Ooh, wow. <laughs> and Ben told an N-word. <laughs> wow, it just jumps right off the page at you. <laughs> oh, it's twice in the same sentence. And the N-word told me. There now. 
Well, what of it? They all lie, at least ways all but a N-word. <laughs> I'm scared it's going to fly out of my mouth now. I don't know him, but I never see an N-word <laughs> that wouldn't lie. Shucks, now you tell me how Bob Tanner done it, Huck. Why, he took and dipped his hand in a rotten stump where the rainwater was. In the daytime, ah, certainly. With his face to the stump, mm, yes, at least I reckon so. Did he say anything? I don't reckon he did. I don't know. Ah, talk about trying to cure warts or spunk water. Such a blame fool. Way is that? Why, that ain't a going to do any good. You got to go all by yourself to the middle of the woods where you know there's a spunk water stump. And just as it's midnight, you back up against the stump and jam your head in and say, Barley corn, barley corn, engine meal shorts. Spunk water, spunk water, swallower these warts. Then walk away quick, 11 steps, with your eyes shut, and then turn around three times and walk home without speaking to anybody. Because if you speak, ah, the charm's busted. Well, that sounds like a good way, but that ain't the way Bob Tanner done. No, sir, you can bet he didn't, because... He's the wardiest boy in town. Ah, he wouldn't have a, a ward on him if he'd known how to work spunk water. I've taken off thousands of warts uh, off with my hands this way, Huck. I play the frogs so much that I've always got considerable many warts. Sometimes they take them off with a bean. Ah, yes, bean's good. I've done that. Have you? Ah, what's your way? Well, you take and split the bean and cut the wart as to get some blood. And then you put the blood on one piece of the bean and take a dig in the hole and bury it about, uh, about midnight at the crossroads in the dark of the moon. And then you burn up the rest of the bean. You see that piece that's got the blood on it will keep drawing and drawing, trying to fetch the other piece to it. Oh, and so that helps the blood to draw the wart. And pretty soon off she comes. Oh, yes, that's it, Hawk, that's it. Though, when you're burying it, if you say, Down bean off ward, uh, come no more to bother me, it's better. That's the way Joe Harper does. And he's been nearly to Coonville and most everywheres. But say, how do you cure him with dead cats? Why, you take your cat <clears throat> and uh, go and get in the graveyard long about midnight when somebody that was wicked has been buried. And when it's midnight, a devil will come, or maybe two or three, uh, but you can't see him. You can only hear something, like the wind, or maybe hear him talk, and then they're taking that feller away. You heave your cat after him and say, Devil, follow corpse. Cat, follow devil. Warts, follow cat. I'm done with ye. That'll fetch any wart. That sounds right. You ever try it, Huck? No, but old Mother Hopkins told me. Well, I reckon it's so then, because they say she's a witch. Say, why, Tom, I know she is. She witched Pap. Pap says he's uh, his own self. He came along one day, and uh, he sees she was a witch in him. So he took up a rock, and if she hadn't dodged, he'd had got her. Well, that very night, he rolled off in a shed where he was uh, a lion drunk and broke his arm. Oh, why, that's awful. How did he know that she was a witch in him? Lord, Pap can tell easy. Pap says, when they keep looking at you right and steady, uh, they're witching you, especially if they mumble, because when they mumble, they're saying the Lord's Prayer backwards. Say, Hucky, uh, <laughs> when you're going to try the cat? Tonight, I reckon. Uh, they'll come after old Hoss Williams tonight. But they buried him Saturday. Didn't they get him Saturday night? Why, how you talk. How could their charms work till midnight? And then it's Sunday. Devils don't slosh around much a Sunday, I don't reckon. 
I never thought of that. That's so. Let me go with you? Of course, if you ain't afeard. Ah, feared taint likely. Will, will you meow? Yes, and you meow back. And if you get a chance, last time you keep me a meowing around till old Hayes went to throwing rocks at me and says, Dern that cat. And so I hove a brick through his window. <laughs> but don't you tell. I won't. I couldn't meow that night because Auntie was watching me. But I'll meow this time. Say, eh, what's that? Eh, nothing but a tick. Where, where'd you get him? Eh, out in the woods. What, what do you take for him? I don't know. I don't want to sell him. All right, it's a mighty small tick anyway. Oh, anybody can run a tick down that doesn't belong to him. I'm satisfied with it. It's a good enough tick for me. Show there's ticks aplenty. I could have a thousand of them I wanted to. Why don't you? Because you know mighty well you can't. It's a pretty early tick, I reckon. Uh, it's the first one I've seen this year. Say, Huck, I'll give you my tooth for him. Well, let's see it. Tom got out a bit of paper and carefully unrolled it. Huckleberry viewed it uh, wistfully. The temptation was very strong. At least he said, Is it genuine? Tom lifted his lip and showed the vacancy. Well, well, all right, said Huckleberry. It's a trade. Tom had closed the tick in the percussion cap box that had uh, lately been the pinchbug's prison, and the boys separated, each feeling wealthier than before. When Tom reached the little isolated school frame house, he strode in briskly with the manner of one who had come with all honest speed. He sprung his hat on a peg and flung himself into the seat with business-like clarity. The master, throned on high in his great splint-bottom armchair, was a-dozing, lulled by the drowsy hum of study. The interruption roused him. Uh, Thomas Sawyer! Tom knew that when his name was pronounced in full, it meant trouble. Uh, sir... Come up here now, uh, sir. Why are you late again, as usual? Tom was about to take refuge in a lie when he saw two long tails of yellow hair hanging down a back that he recognized by the electric sympathy of love. And by that form was the only vacant place on the girl's side of the schoolhouse. He instantly said, I stopped to talk with Huckleberry Finn, in all caps. The master's pulse stood still and he stared helplessly. The buzz of study ceased. The pupils wondered if this foolhardy boy had lost his mind. The master said, You, you did what? It's not to talk to Huckleberry Finn. Now there's no mistake in the words. Thomas Sawyer, this is the most astounding confession I have ever listened to. No more ferile will answer for this offense. Take off your jacket. The master's arm performed until he was tired and the stock of switches uh, not aimably diminished. And the order followed. Now, sir, go and sit with the girls and let this be a warning to you. Oh, the titter that rippled around the room appeared to abash the boy, but in reality, the result was caused rather more by his worshipful awe of this unknown idol and the dread pleasure that lay in his high good fortune. He sat down upon the end of the pine bench, and the girl hitched herself away from him with a toss of her head. Nudges and winks and whispers traversed the room, but Tom sat still with his arms upon the long, low desk before him, and seemed to study his book. By and by, attention ceased from him, and the accustomed school murmur rose to the dull air once more. Presently, the boy began to feel furtive glances uh, at the girl. Oh, she observed it. 
made a mouth, in quotes, at him and gave him the back of her head for the space of a minute. When she cautiously faced round again, a peach lay before her. She thrust it away. Tom gently put it back. She thrust it away again, but with less animosity. Tom patiently returned it to its place. Then she let it remain. Tom scrawled on his plate, Please take it. I've got more. <laughs> the girl glanced at the words, but made no sign. Now the boy began to draw something on his slate, uh, hiding his work with his left hand. For a time, the girl refused to notice, but her human curiosity presently began to manifest itself by hardly perceptible signs. The boy worked on, apparently unconscious. The girl made a sort of uh, uh, non-committal attempt to see, but the boy did not betray that he was aware of it. At last she gave in and hesitatingly whispered, uh, Let me see it. Tom partly uncovered the dismal caricature of a house with two gable ends to it and a corkscrew of smoke issuing from the chimney. The girl's interest began to fasten itself upon the work, and she forgot everything else. When it was finished, she gazed a moment, then whispered, It's nice. Yeah, make a man. The artist erected a man in the front yard that resembled a derrick. He could have stepped over the house, but the girl was not hypercritical. She was satisfied with the monster, and she whispered, Oh, it's a beautiful man. Now make, now make me coming along. Tom drew an hourglass with a full moon and straw limbs to it, so she armed the spreading fingers the portentous fan. The girl said, Oh, it's ever so nice. I wish I could draw. That's easy, whispered Tom. I'll learn you. Oh, will you? When? At noon. Uh, do you go home to dinner? I'll stay if you will. Good, that's a whack. What's your name? Becky Thatcher. Uh, what's yours? Oh, I know. It's Thomas Sawyer. Well, that's the name they licked me by. <laughs> I'm Tom when I'm good, and you can call me Tom, will you? Yes. Now Tom began to scrawl something on the slate, hiding the words from the girl. She was not backward this time. Oh, she begged to see. Tom said, Oh, it ain't nothing. Oh, yes, it is. Ah, oh, no, it ain't. You don't want to see. Yes, I do. Indeed, I do. Yeah, please let me see. No, you'll tell. No, I won't. Deed and deed and double deed won't. You won't tell anybody after all, ever as long as you live. No, I won't tell anybody. Ah, now let me see. Oh, you don't want to see. Oh, how you treat me so. I will see. <clears throat> and she put her small hand upon his and a little scuffle ensued. Tom pretending to resist in earnest, but letting his hand slip by degrees till these words were revealed. I love you. Oh, you bad thing. And she hit his hand a smart rap, but reddened and looked pleased nonetheless. Just at this juncture, the boy felt a slow, fateful grip closing on his ear and a steady, lifting impulse. It was that wise... Uh, he was borne across the house and uh, deposited in his own seat under a peppering fire of giggles from the whole school. Then the master stood over him during a few awful moments and finally moved away to his throne without saying a word. But although Tom's ear uh, tingled, his heart was jubilant. As the school quieted down, Tom made an honest effort to study, but the turmoil within him was too great. In turn, he took his place in the reading class and made a botch of it. Then in the geography class and turned lakes into mountains, mountains into rivers, rivers into continents, till chaos was come again. Then in the spelling class and got 
turned down by a succession of mere baby words, till he brought up the foot and yielded up the pewter medal which had worn with ostentation for months. Well, what do we learn from this chapter? Uh, for some reason, uh, dead animals and living, once living tissue, like a liver or whatever, is things that little boys back then uh, seemed to enjoy. I, when I was a little kid, didn't grow up in the greatest neighborhood, um, and so you did things like pick up cigarette butts out of the parking lot and, uh, pretend to smoke them, or if you could actually get like a lighter or a match, you'd actually light them and smoke them. Uh, we did things like that, but never did I pick up a dead animal and just carry it around, especially a whole cat. Uh, you know, we'd dig in the sandbox and you'd get uh, salamanders if you dig down, you know, deep enough. And you put it in the bucket and pretend like it's going to be your pet for the rest of your life, but it dies like a day later. Uh, same thing with minnows. There was a pond sort of within walking distance and you'd go catch minnows. All these minnows are going to be my friends for life, and they die. But never did I find a dead thing and decide I'm going to keep it. Much less to get rid of warts with weird pagan spells. Oh, and if you, if you play your cards right, uh, you can meet a woman by simply uh, embarrassing yourself to get seated next to one, and then kind of yeah, yeah, play hard to get which I'm not the greatest at. Uh, and then to cinch the deal, all you just got to do is say, I love you. Oh, and that's it. Oh, she'll tell you that you're naughty and slap your hand. But then you're married. Doesn't really ever work that way today, especially when you're 46 years old. Or maybe it does. I've never tried it. Maybe I should do that. Just go hang around a mall. And then if a woman is for any reason standing near me, I'll just be like, oh, you don't want to see what I'm doing and then not show her what I'm drawing. And then it'll say, I love you on it. And then she'll tell me I'm naughty and slap my hand. And the next thing you know, we're moving in together. So uh, how does any of this tie in with what I said earlier? I didn't even bother trying to do this last week. It's getting tougher and tougher to do. Uh, I was never going to meet a woman with my dang kid around. Uh, how am I supposed to meet a woman at the mall if I've got a, a daughter to take care of that won't leave her bedroom? My children are literally preventing me from meeting people. So I guess that's what we learned in this episode, is that children hold you back in your life, prevent you from reaching your full potential of happiness. Ah, that's the best I can do. So thanks for listening this week. Uh, I will record another episode uh, later on this week. Bye. <laughs>